anything maritime. We hope to engage you with stories that bring out different perspectives. If you have a story to tell, reach out and we could tell it to the world together. My name is Abhijit Balakrishnan. Today we have with us Vivek Menon. Vivek is with the MACN, the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network based in Denmark. MACN has a strategy for a maritime industry free of corruption that enables fair trade to the benefit of society at large. I'm going into this conversation to understand more about MACN, what they do, what can seafarers and ship operators do to further the vision of MACN. Welcome on board, Even Keel or Vivek. Thank you, Abhijit. It's good to be here and nice talking to you. Thank you. Uh, Vivek, I'm just curious, uh, can you give us an overview of your role in MACN and what makes you passionate about corruption and uh, how did you get here? Okay. That's a good question. And um, I've been with the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network for about a year and a half now. I joined in 2019 and uh, the role was fairly new. Uh, at that time, uh, because they were looking for someone to work with their collective action um, topic with MACN in different countries and focused on Europe, Middle East and Africa. So I was inspired by the, the role itself in, in the way it was defined and, and what, uh, what we can do for the shipping industry when it comes to corruption. And when you look at uh, MACN and what it does, I've been at sea for many years uh, before that as well. And then when I was sailing, I, I realized that we go through so many different practices on board, which, which touched, touched on this topic. But at that time, we never really had anything like uh, the Mathematic Corruption Network or companies able to understand and support us when we needed them in this particular, uh, in, in, in such cases. So what, what I realized working with MACN is it's, it gives us an opportunity to understand how the shipping industry is struggling with this uh, problem that we, we have even today. It's, uh, it's a long-standing problem. And the problem being corrupt practices or certain demands being made to shipmasters and crew on board, and which has an impact to the shipping company as well in different levels. So one thing is to understand this problem and how it really works in different countries. And then what is it that the industry is trying to achieve? So this is, this is what uh, inspired me to, to join the team. We're quite a small team, but uh, most of our work is done in very close cooperation with our members. So, so this whole journey started in, in August 2019. And quickly, I started to learn how complex uh, this problem is. Um, yes, I've faced it myself while, while sailing many years ago. But today, the complexity seems to have increased. And then the whole understanding of how sh different shipping companies approaches this. Uh, some have a very in-depth process and a compliance uh, process within their company, depending on, on how big they are. And, and they have dedicated teams to support their seafarers. But there are also companies who are probably not in that level or in that maturity to, to support their seafarers on board. So, so this is where I think... Uh, I've been uh, fortunate enough to join the team, but at the same time, able to bring in my insight, talking to seafarers, talking to companies, and see how we can operationalize various uh, ideas that we have at MACN so that everyone in the industry can benefit at some point. Maybe it's not uh, going to happen tomorrow, but eventually we'll try and find ways to 
uh, to mitigate this corruption practices that have been happening for many years. So I think that is what I would like to share to that question. And it's uh, the, the role I'm, I'm doing at MACN is very much uh, engaging with people on board ships. That means our members, uh, we talk to shipping companies, we talk to their seafarers, we engage in different forums in trying understanding their problems. But at the same time, what I also do is work with uh, governments in different countries where we have, uh, where we have identified these problems are quite severe. And we can talk about that uh, going forward with specific countries that we, that we work in. Um, and then finally, we also try and engage the, the, the overall industry, uh, like uh, the IMO and ICS, International Chamber of Shipping, and other uh, international bodies to work together. So there's a constant dialogue in, in, uh, in that area as well to see how we can find common solutions that benefits everybody in the supply chain of, uh, of the shipping industry. So that is, that is what my role is uh, at MACN. And uh, this is what I'm trying to do on a daily basis uh, with the industry. Okay, so you uh, basically interacting or networking with all these people, with the members, with the government bodies and with everyone around to make some action in place so that it benefits everyone in the, in the, uh, in the industry. And uh, so are you looking at finding a solution which, uh, I'm not sure if there is a, uh, there is a definite solution, but at least when you're working towards it, are you looking as uh, uh, as your north star to find a solution which uh, sort of makes financial sense, uh, which means uh, you know by reducing or by reducing this facilitation or uh, uh, you know uh, in whatever you may, however you may want to call it by re uh, reducing mm -hmm. the instances of all these uh, facilitations that happen. Uh, is that going to make financial sense in the end to the person, to the people who are making money in this? Uh, so which would mean the charters or maybe the ship operators, the final person who is making money in the entire business, will it start making sense to them once we start reducing this facilitation payments? The easy answer is yes. And at the same time, I would also like to say that uh, one problem is not the same for everybody, which means we need to address it in different levels. At the same time, one, there, I don't know if we can get one solution that fits everybody as well. Uh, but why I said yes to start with is uh, to your question, does it make financial sense? Uh, I think the challenge of corruption has, is multifold. Uh, the, the reason why we ask ourselves, why do we even want to tackle corruption uh, to start with? Uh, and, and the reasons for, uh, are multifold. One is uh, there is a growing demand from the international community towards compliance and anti-corruption regulations and, and higher uh, and to, to increase that uh, compliance when it comes to corruption risks in different, different places around the world, which also means that there are legal and financial implications because these risks can be so severe, you can go down that legal and financial challenge all the way, which can actually affect a company very badly. So the, there are these strong legal and financial implications if a company doesn't take uh, proper actions in fighting corruption. Then there is also reputational damage. Transparency, accountability, and these increasing risks have a constant reputational damage on whoever is uh, party to it. And at the same time, it is very much a business sense as well. And I can give you a very concrete example. If a ship is delayed in port for whatever reason, I think we all will appreciate there are operational uh, downturns and there's costs associated to that. So if a ship is delayed, that means you have an operational cost, which can increase. 
and therefore you may also have an opportunity loss as well that ship has to leave the port and then go to a next port so there could be a cascading effect of costs for that particular ship operator now if that delay is due to such demands being imposed on a on a ship and the shipmaster and and that is being discussed back and forth for a long time if they didn't meet a specific demand then that also is a that also has an impact so definitely by addressing corruption in different levels by providing solutions for where you are in the industry in depending on which country you are so those unique solutions will definitely have an effect on the cost for the business for the reputation and definitely the overall legal and financial implications that companies may face so that is why i said the answer is yes and therefore uh, we see a lot of members joining the network simply because they see there is value uh, value in this one last element if we keep all these financial and business part aside there is also a huge impact for what seafarers are going through on a daily basis which is probably not necessarily concerns a business uh, sense but their daily work life can also be improved by removing this particular challenge that they face on a daily basis so so it is multifold but if you keep it uh, in if you want to keep it simple then i would say there's a business uh, element to it and there is also a call it working environment element uh, to it as well uh that i think makes a lot of sense um, when you say that you're working to improve the uh, work life for the seafarers on board by uh making them you know avoid having to take decisions on whether or not to uh, facilitate to give out a carton of cigarette or not uh i mean i mean there must be people listening into us who may not be fully aware of you know what we are discussing and and just uh, i think what we are talking about is you know when seafarers go into ports uh, there are often uh, officials who come on board and they demand uh, you know uh, a certain facilitation so that uh, uh, the ship is not detained or ship is not delayed because the people who board these vessels are people with a lot of authority are people with discretionary powers so they quite able to find uh, mistakes uh, very simple and silly mistakes which uh, could be you know a spelling mistake or something uh, a word an incomplete word and uh, you know uh, things like this which could uh, result in an imposition or a threat of a fine or a delay upon the master uh, forcing him to make facilitation payments normally uh, in 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 kind of gifts uh, like cigarettes or something from the provision store it might sound silly but even a coffee bottle sometimes work a bottle of coffee mm-hmm. and sometimes it's cash but yeah this is generally what i believe shipmasters are possibly going through and then uh, there are also cases in these cases it's a matter of delay but then there are cases where uh, such demands are made and safety may come into the picture because uh, these are sometimes made by pilots who are uh, part of the bridge team and at that time the decision the master has to make is you know uh, should i or should i not and you know by making the decision of should i or should i not he's possibly uh, risking a, a, a grumpy pilot who may not uh, you know integrate very well into the bridge team so i think these are the complications that i believe uh, vivek you mentioned uh, uh, which i uh, with an effective uh with the goals of the vision of the mac and achieved possibly masters will not have to make this decision because masters are possibly not negotiators who are going to come up and 
try and negotiate, you know, two cartons, one carton, half a carton or whatever, rather than, you know, they just get the work done. Uh, you also mentioned something, Vivek, I'm just bringing that article that you wrote for Nautilus. Uh, you mentioned of uh, an instance, uh, you know, many years ago, uh, while you were sailing. Do you want to recall that? Yes. And, um, and this, is, this is something my own experience when I was a junior officer on board a ship. And um, so basically, when you're a seafarer, you, you're taught various skills. When you, uh, and I was, uh, I was trained to be a navigator. So there are a lot of navigational skills that you're trained and cargo handling skills and, and so on. So when you go on board, you want to put them into practice. But then in this particular incident uh, happened when we were arriving at a particular port. And uh, the first person who comes on board from the, uh, uh, from the port officials is the, the health the health department, or you can call them the quarantine department. And the reason why they are the first person to come is they need to free the, they need to give what they call the free pratik, or it is a license to enter the port. Uh, in other words, to, to call it, or it's the health certificate to make sure that everyone is, uh, is actually healthy and we have the valid uh, health certificates and, and, and so on. So these people came on board. And I remember, I think it was two or three officials, if I'm correct, uh, who came on board and they went through all our uh, sanitation documents, the vaccination cards, uh, and so on. We all, we all required to have that by law. Uh, and uh, that's something all vessels carry today, even today. And then they went through uh, some physical inspections, meaning they went into the, the galley of the ship or where, they, or where the cooking is done uh, and food is served to, uh, to the crew on board. So they went and did some physical examinations and inspections. And then there are other storerooms that they inspected. And then while inspecting all this, they were making a lot of notes. They were making uh, notes on some minor discrepancies saying that uh, this onion doesn't look good or, or there are some cans which, uh, which look uh, open or half open. And then the, 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 the cook on board, chief cook on board was explaining uh, to why these so-called discrepancies were, uh, were being made. And, and there were the discussions ongoing. Then over a period of time, this list became bigger and bigger, and uh, these gentlemen were becoming a little bit more uh, aggressive in their approach towards us, and we felt a bit harassed. And for me, that was uh, not the first experience, but that level of, uh, I think, harassment was a little bit uh, something that I have not faced, especially from a public official, because usually when you meet public officials, I don't know about everyone else, but um, I think generally there is a sense of uh, unease you know you feel that though they can do whatever they want they are in uniform and they have these appellates and and they they tend to know the law so much that you don't know in this particular country what the law is uh, in your own country although sometimes you wonder whether you know everything that the law says so they used all these legal requirements that's supposed to be there and then they start becoming even more verbally uh, a little bit more difficult to to handle and then finally, they, they said, okay, we need to go and speak to the captain. This was already many hours into their inspection. And still, we don't have this, uh, this free pratik or the, uh, the health, uh, health clearance from, from these guys. And then finally, they went to the captain's uh, cabin. And uh, I was also there. And I remember they were, they were, they were arguing with the captain saying that uh, this is all wrong. Your ship doesn't have uh, things in order. And, uh, and we, we need to find the vessel. Uh, and the captain said, well, okay, but what is, what is the fine all about? I mean, can we, uh, and then he went into this discussion for a long period of time. And then they were frustrated. There were a lot of loud voices I could hear because I, I was asked to step out at one point as well. And then suddenly this whole 
situation became to a point where these public officials asked the captain that you need to sign uh, these documents and we're going to find the vessel and you're responsible for this and you need to take full responsibility of all these uh, so-called infractions or these uh, uh, deficiencies you could you could call them and then it came to a point where the captain was so stressed out uh, heavy following his heavy arguments uh, he was put in a in a corner and he was kind of compelled to give something to them which uh, he was very uncomfortable so this so called unethical uh, payments were were given or in the form of uh, food and and other uh, goods cigarettes and everything were were given and then uh, be- because i was asked to uh, to facilitate that and and i said okay but uh, but why later on we discuss why but but at that time of course that was that is what we had to do and then we did so these people went we got our our certificate and then we were wondering why all this commotion uh, was going on and then when these people left we had the next people who came on board was customs immigration and then you had a series of other people who came on board same exercise everyone went on to to find something that was inappropriate on the ship and then led to the master being threatened with fines on board the vessel and then being asked to sign and take responsibility of all the things that were incorrect but all this led to a, a state where we couldn't really understand how to handle them let alone whether you are trained to handle public officials but definitely not handling these kind of public officials who were uh, Uh, who are presenting themselves in a way that we we were not used to so this is where we felt uh, I, i mean i, I felt quite uh, uncomfortable I'm, i i know the master was as well but this is also a learning for me because this is how i learned from from my captain uh, on board for that ship that this is also what you do uh, when you're sailing on board ships uh, it's not just taking the ship from a to b there are also these kind of negotiations that go around uh, when you when you deal with uh, public authorities in in certain countries so that is that was my you could say eye opener to uh, uh, to an to a circumstances like this this uh, and of course i've had several others but this this really stands out as a, as a memory going back i have several too uh, vivek i think uh, i mean if you keep uh, exchanging our experiences i'm sure that i mean we could fill another hour just talking about it but one very uh, curious uh, very um, uh, fascinating thing that i just wanted to mention is because i was having conversation with someone with a master marina who's currently sailing um, and uh, regarding the subject and he tells me that he goes prepared on boat ships uh, with a decoy cameras and uh, i mean it is something he carries in his bag when he signs on a ship uh, so every time he signs on a ship he has decoy cameras which he sticks uh, in the in the provision store in the bond locker uh, in his office you know and he uses that as a ruse uh, to excuse uh, you know when officials asking something he says he points to the camera and says that you know see there's a camera there's a live stream that's going to the office i'm sorry i'm helpless so i mean masters are really like you said you know it's not just about navigation it's not just about uh, uh, you know your technical skills you have to come up with these uh, very innovative ideas so i was i was really amazed that he's taking the efforts to do this to make sure that you know he doesn't have to uh, facilitate payments so uh, yeah. uh, something that i just wanted to share when you mentioned this uh, while you were closing the previous point uh, vivek you mentioned about um, members joining part of your network so i'm just mm. curious about 
the network that you said, you know, so what is this network and how does, uh, you know, uh, MSCN sort of work uh, technically or practically with the network that you spoke of? Okay, thank you for asking that. And I would like to start off by saying why it all started as well and when it kind of started uh, just for the audience reference. And this all started about uh, now, I think, 10 years ago. 2010 is when the whole idea was being formed and then put in place. And uh, so around that time, uh, there was a handful of companies who came together uh, and said that we need to address this uh, challenge that we all face, uh, meaning uh, there are people on board ships, but also there are people in the office are facing, uh, because this is not something new and they constantly face this in certain parts of the world. And, and the problem being uh, when ships have pilots on board, pilots demand certain things, or when they go to port, uh, in certain ports, the, the port authorities demand certain uh, things or the other. And it's more, more interestingly, these are services that a ship is provided or a shipping company is provided that they've already paid for. Why? What, what I mean by that is pilotage is a service that is being paid by the ship owner. Port authorities coming on board and doing their job is also a service that is being paid by the ship owner through port dues and other forms of dues that they are they're supposed to do. There's no choice. You have to pay for this. So today, every port and terminal is what we think a service industry. They service ships and, and uh, all types of ships and companies when they come there because it is in their own interest to have that service. So they get the goods and, and so on. But at the same time, the industry was faced with such challenges. And what happened was, I think at that point of time, there were some ships that were stopped for many days. And if I'm correct, this happened in, in somewhere in Suez or in Egypt. Uh, the ships were, were stopped and simply because their demands were not met by the ship staff. So the, these particular companies said, okay, we cannot tolerate this anymore. We need to do something about this because this affects the people who work on board the ship and definitely it affects our business as well in how we operate. And this was also around the time when the UK Bribery Act and the uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act in the United States became more and more stringent. So these are some of the international anti-corruption uh, laws that have become more stringent and more strict. And they also have what we call extra jurisdictional rights. What that means is that every shipping company at that time needed to understand how we can put policies in place, but not only put policies, how do we put those policies into practice? And there were these big companies who could do it themselves, uh, no doubt, because uh, as I probably mentioned that some of these companies uh, have their own internal systems. Uh, they have uh, enough people to take care of this from the compliance side and the legal side, and therefore they were able to support uh, their seafarers. But at the same time, one company couldn't do everything in all around the world, all the ports they called. They were having all kinds of issues all over the place. So therefore they said, Instead of one person, one company trying to fight corruption or address this problem of corruption, can we do this together? So this is where a group of shipping companies came together. So it is a very much an industry-led initiative. They said, together, we should be able to do a lot more than one company doing something about it. So it's like saying, instead of one seafarer trying to do something about this, let's say the whole fleet, all seafarers do something together. So that was the idea. It was an idea. They said, okay, let's try it out. And today you can see we are like almost 10, 10 years 
past we are we are we have a membership of 150 uh ship owners ship operators some cargo owners uh port agents uh pni clubs there are there are some pni clubs as well who are part of this flag states uh, some of the major flag states are also part of this this whole dialogue and this whole voice of saying no we will not tolerate this anymore so that is how you could say the whole macn idea and initiative was operationalized over over the many years and we work in what i think is in a very simple uh, concept there are three core pillars that we that we operate under uh, and one being every every ship owner and every private sector let's call them broadly private sector ship owners ship operators all these people we call them private sector they are also in a journey to understand how to mitigate corruption and how to find solutions to help everyone in this journey so some of them are in a very high maturity level some are getting to that maturity level in the, in this journey so what we do is we try and build their internal capacity or capability building is what we call we build their internal capability to fight this corruption it could be through designing policy it could be through giving them some tools that their office people and the seafarers can use Uh, it could uh, for example there is a there's an e learning that was developed last year uh, it has been there for some years as well but there was a new one that was developed it gives some simple tips and tools for people in shipping companies to find out how we can uh, address this corruption how do you say no how do you say no to a public official is is one example so we try and build that capacity for shipping companies in different levels and in different ways another example is this reporting culture that we had started the industry is not new to reporting uh, the shipping industry is very familiar with reporting but what's uh, what stands out is this particular reporting is people are able to report uh, these demands or we call them corrupt demands you can report them anonymously and then then you can ask me why is that important i mean does that have any value this is very important to our second pillar which is called this collective action that we that we talk about what that really means is one thing is to work with shipping companies and try and improve their uh, their capability and capacity internally the second thing is shipping companies are calling so many ports in different in different parts of the world ports also have challenges people certain people in certain ports are constantly going on board ships and asking and demanding and threatening masters harassing masters and crew on board in this practice so we need to address that behavior so what we do is we try and work with the governments with the civil society bodies and with local private sector in specific countries this we do through what we call collective action what that are, in other words what that means is there's no naming and shaming we try and bring the voice of the industry to that respective country and explain to them this is what is going on in your ports and terminals maybe you don't know that this is going on in your ports and terminals and if you do we need how do we find a common solution that benefits both sides it should benefit them as a country as a port but at the same time it should benefit the industry that's calling that country as well and there is always this this trade dialogue you can bring in uh, and and this is a very natural fit to this because uh, if a ship is delayed like i said there is a lot of operational costs which not only is bad for the ship owner and the industry but equally for that country so there is always that discussion that takes place in the port level so there is a 
company perspective, there's a port or a country perspective. And then last but not the least, the third pillar that we work on is trying to bring the international community together. For example, the discussion at the IMO has been going on for the last three to four years. And I must say that in 2019, the IMO formally put this topic on maritime corruption in, in, their, in their agenda. And why that is important, the way I see it is that the seafarers have been facing this, from my perspective, being a seafarer myself, seafarers have been facing this for many, many years, and they continue to face this. So in, in many ways, I see that their voices have finally reached the IMO, and they want to do something about this together with their member states. So right now, the IMO is trying to, uh, is, is, they have a work plan in place, and they want to see how they can provide some uh, guidance and, and input to respective member states to take up this more seriously and, and work with this in their respective countries. So broadly speaking, we work on a, on, a, on a capability building leg or a pillar called capability building, which is for shipping companies. Then there is this collective action in respect to ports or country level work. And then finally, this uh, international or bringing the international community together from a collaboration point of view. So you have like uh, ICS, International Chamber of Shipping, Intertanko, uh, IFSMA, for example, all, all these bodies together with member states, when they go and meet at the IMO, they are also able to bring up uh, these challenges and discuss this. So this is how I think uh, if I were to explain how MACN works, uh, these are the three uh, pillars that we stand on and how we address uh, the problem of corruption in the industry. Uh, thank you. Fascinating, uh, Vivek. Uh, capability building, collective action, and international community. Uh, there are some things that I really want to pick up, come back, and I've taken notes that I want to ask you again. But uh, before I actually go there, uh, I just want to conf uh, ask, when is IMO likely to come up with these guidelines? Do you have, because I, you said they started working in 2019. Uh, do they have the guidelines or are they expected anytime soon? Yeah, so the guidelines uh, discussion started last year, I think. Uh, it took uh, a couple of uh, FAL committee sessions. This is this uh, discussion is placed under the FAL yeah. uh, convention, and the committee of uh, FAL is the one who discusses this and uh, brings the the next steps. So last year, uh, if I'm correct, this is uh, 20, in 2020. They they agreed on working towards a guideline for the for the uh, for the industry. Uh, so I know it is it is under uh, it is underway now. Uh, there are flag states looking into this. There is a working group as well being assigned. Uh, to do the job. Uh, I, I, it's not out yet. It's still something that they're working on. Okay. Uh, it will be sooner than later. It's just a matter of uh, when, not if. Uh, what I want yes. to uh, get back, uh, uh, Vivek, is, you know, I, you said, you know, we, uh, we will not tolerate this anymore. That's something that uh, generally everyone came around and agreed to. And uh, earlier you spoke about, you know, the demand for uh, the compliance. So what I'm uh, sort of getting at is, you no, know, fine, you can have a demand for compliance with the, uh, uh, the US um, uh, uh, FCPA or the UK Bribery Act. I mean, so the companies, I mean, they could look at complying with that and failing which there could be reputational uh, sort of consequences. Uh, but when it comes down to the ground, you know, at the deep end, it is the ship's master who is having to make that call. So what I'm trying to say is it's very well to sort of grandstand and say, we will not do this anymore. Or, you know, there are these international uh, regulations which could affect your reputation. But when he's standing on the bridge and there is this demand for a carton of cigarette or maybe more 
or maybe something else. Uh, these words may sound hollow to the, that master, to that ship captain. Uh, how does he actually deal with that? I mean, he has to make that choice of, you know, do I comply with this poster that is put up here, uh, which says don't pay bribes, or do I, uh, uh, you know, give a carton away and make sure that the pilot who is going to be with me for the next 12 hours or next four hours, you know, he's nice and friendly and I have a good bridge team, a safe passage across uh, this narrow channel or this canal. Uh, isn't that a dilemma in a master's mind or, you know, how do you, have you, I mean, I'm sure you must have thought of it. So do you have sort of, uh, how do you think a master could deal with this? Yeah, very, very good question. And uh, I think this is something that we constantly uh, work with. Uh, it's on our minds all the time. How do we uh, make this uh, topic or how do we even uh, look into this topic all the way down to someone on board a ship? And I would like to address this in, in, um, in two different ways, or yeah, at least two different ways. One being, it's, uh, one being what I said earlier, where the, the maturity level of the company. Now, this whole discussion about anti-corruption policies and putting, putting the, uh, being a member of MACN and working with the policy will, will not work if you don't communicate that very clearly to every seafarer and every master on board your fleet. And there are companies who are doing that in different ways, which also means that there are companies who have a very clear stance when it comes to bribery. And generally, we call these uh, giving away cigarettes and, and uh, uh, provision items and so on as facilitation payments. So that is how the industry generally recognizes it as. So what I know, uh, many companies who are at least with MAC and member uh, companies are very clear is that there is a clear no to bribery, any form of bribery. And that is something that is very clearly communicated to their, to their ships. What they're required to do as a, as a shipmaster is clearly say no to that. They will stand by, stand by it and immediately call their office. And this is where the vessel operator, or it could be a HSEQ manager, depending on who is handling uh, this particular topic, it could also be the legal and compliance team for that matter. In some companies, they can call them directly they are able to give full support to the master when they are faced with anything related to bribery. And, and this, is, this is something that is very clear. We have had uh, many experiences from, uh, from talking to seafarers as well that uh, this part of it is clear for the ships that they work on board. When it comes to facilitation payment, I think I mentioned it earlier that there are companies who are in a level of, you know, they are in a journey meaning that they may not have a clear no policy or zero facilitation policy in their company, but they're getting there over a period of time. And the reason why they're doing that is exactly what your question uh, is alluding to. How can this particular company, by saying no to facilitation payment, realistically help the seafarers on board? This is the question that even companies are trying to find solutions to. And this is where we support the companies to say, as long as you are able to record anything that is being demanded by a ship captain and you're able to put that in writing and refer back to your shipping company and then the shipping company can take relevant action, then you have all that, all, all those things are in place. Which means that if your company is trying to support you by saying, 
captain if you're being demanded by certain things uh, from a particular port or a terminal you need to record that on board the ship but also inform me in the office and then report to macn so this whole reporting culture brings in a lot of support to many masters or many companies in who are in a journey towards zero facilitation payment if you're already in zero facilitation payment you still can report it's not to say that they should not report but i think the it's not always possible in many ports where you're able to give 100% uh, support to the to the crew and then the second point i want to say is what amazon is trying to do and i'll give you the example of nigeria uh, nigeria has been a hotspot for for many years uh, for many of our members and even today for many companies who call uh, nigerian ports and terminals they seems to be a, a difficult place to operate what we have been doing in nigeria for the last almost 8 or 9 years now is work with the government to see how we can provide a more practical solution on the ground when a ship calls ports and terminals now this what that really means is there is something called a, a help desk in nigeria that is operated by macn together with the nigerian government which takes up any case whether master has to deal in either negotiating or trying to understand if there's a fine that is valid or even if a demand is being made for no matter reason they are able to activate this help desk it's a very practical tool they just call the number or uh, write to that number your email or sms there's an sms possibility or a whatsapp possibility that they can activate the help desk and there is an immediate response provided by this help desk which is connected through the nigerian government now of course you can argue this is only in nigeria this is a this is a working model it was uh, established in 2019 with the uh, uh, with the nigerian government we established this there and we can see now ships when they call nigeria they first of all they report before calling nigeria they let us know that they're coming like they do uh, in the normal pre arrival notification they also report to macn and then when they call a uh, any particular terminal or a port in nigeria they are able to use this service and it's for free and more importantly when they are calling or writing they are able to get some kind of feedback or some kind of verification if this fine is even valid to start with this demand that is being made what do you do with this demand of course the company is constantly kept in the loop but what the master gets first hand is from a local person a local government agency who is actually challenging this government agent who is on board his ship and asking for certain things this is a an example of what we believe trying to put policies and ideas into something more concrete and in practice of course this is only nigeria we are also doing a similar exercise in ukraine now that was started in uh, it was started last year from september a similar exercise is being uh carried out in ukraine of course we don't have the the government support in ukraine yet but that is something that takes time but what you can do on, on board a ship if you're calling ukraine is the same thing there is a dedicated number or there are dedicated numbers and uh, an email line as well that is available to the master to use and they can reach out to our local partners we call them our local heroes because in some countries we have a long standing uh, um dialogue and uh, and a partnership with certain entities like in nigeria argentina ukraine india and uh, and a few other countries we have a long standing partnership so these local partners 
for example, in Nigeria and Ukraine, are the ones who provide that help desk feature. So, so, what, what, so I think the answer to your question is, yes, it is, a, it is not a quick fix when it comes to seafarers, when they are being told you need to start following the MACN policy. That means whenever you get a demand, you need to say no. So one thing is, depending on where you are, if your policy allows, you can say no and you get a full support from the office. This is what we constantly try and have a dialogue with all the companies who are members. There has to be a full support provided to the master from the office. That, can, that support can come in various forms. It could be that these reports are submitted, so they have to do what it takes to operate the vessel, but that reporting has to be done and that documentation has to be done and submitted to the company. So they can take the investigation. That is one way. The second way is when you have these local supports like in Nigeria and Ukraine, and we want to expand that. That's the plan for MSN as well. This operational help, we call it, or the support that we provide in the form of help tests in, in Nigeria and Ukraine is something that we will expand in various other countries. When you have that provision in those countries, we again encourage shipmasters to make use of it because if you don't test it, we don't know how good the system is that you're putting in place. And at the same time, your company is also supporting you. So I don't know if I've answered your question probably in a too broad way, but <laughs> I was trying to give you some concrete, um, co concrete uh, solutions to what we are trying to do in giving uh, tools to shipmasters. Uh, it is a very important question because uh, shipmasters are, are sitting with very many regulations to comply with, uh, many company policies to comply with. Now they may feel that this is yet another policy that we need to we need to comply with, but but how do we do it is the biggest question. Uh, so this is where we we are constantly having a ha having chats with them. We we talk to the seafarers as well. Uh, in in some uh, some companies do what we call an online forum. I do that now on a regular basis. Uh, we have started that this year uh, on demand. Of course, certain companies reach out to to us, and then we do a a one-on-one -on -one session with a with a group of masters and chief engineers. It's a forum. I call it a forum. And why it's a forum? Because they are able to share uh, their experiences. We are able to give some tips and tools depending on the country that they are facing challenges. But more importantly, I think we're able to, uh, to guide them as to what, as a minimum, we'll need from them so we can address this systemically, which means that reporting of this incident is very, very important. But before reporting, if you can stand and say no consistently, then it has worked. I know in cases that this has worked. I was talking to a master on Friday where he was uh, sharing his story. We had a very candid conversation where he said, uh, Vivek, I'm not telling you that the problems have gone away. He was a master for many years. Then he went to the office and then uh, he's, be, he's back again uh, sailing for, uh, he's been a master for many years. So he's saying that I'm not telling you that the problems have gone away. But what I've realized, he said that uh, to me, very uh, what stood out from his conversation was, he said, these people are going to harass me nevertheless. Whether I give them something or don't give them something, they're going to come and harass me. They're going to keep asking. And then the ask doesn't stop. It, it's increasing every time. So I decided that I'm going to say no. I'm going to test this company policy and see how it really works. The good thing was he, to every public official who came on board, he consistently said no. He called the company. He called MACN. 
and he was guided by that all the way it spent he spent maybe 2 hours or 3 hours maybe altogether he spent 4 5 hours in this whole deliberation but what he said is i wanted to see if it really really works because saying no is easy but actually doing say no we need to find out how it works and he said that it worked for him and he wants to now share this with all the other masters that he speaks to from his company that call certain ports and terminals so and then of course they report this as well so saying no works we know it works because there are there is evidence that it works reporting that incident because ships have to operate you, sometimes you are put in a very very awkward situation that you have to do what it takes to operate the vessel of course you constantly keep the company informed and then there is a a joint decision that's made but that has to be reported and documented once that is done we are able to act on those things because this is no longer a one off incident this becomes a systemic incident once you start collecting all those reports and this is where i think msian has uh, has uh, been working on this reporting uh, we have got more than 44000 incidents uh, over the last almost 10 years it may not sound like a big incident database but 44000 incidents when you talk about the topic we are discussing corrupt demands being made to seafarers and trying to make their life miserable that's a, that's a lot of information that we have gathered over a period of time and it's it's uh, it's from different countries different ports in different countries from different actors actors meaning uh, it could be pilots it could be um, port state control officers it, it could be customs officers whoever they are so different actors contribute to this uh, this problem um and 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 i think this is uh, this is what we have been trying to drive uh, slowly but at the same time listen more carefully what's going on out there i would like to pause there and then invite you for you know if if that was too broad or too uh, too narrow or too shallow uh, of a uh, thanks for uh, no i think that's a difficult uh, one to answer and i think uh, i mean you basically said that you have the company support from the company company from your local heroes you know uh, and to say no and you give the example of the master who kept saying no for four hours now um, uh, you know when you speak of these and you also spoke speak of support from the company and some uh, recent anecdotes that i came across is uh, i mean it might sound silly but then uh, when a master uh, apparently for goodwill gave a couple of chocolates uh, to uh, an official and he very honestly showed that in his report <clears throat> uh, he was unfortunately pulled up by the operator uh, by his company so uh, for having uh, facilitated when he should not have facilitated according to the policy so you spoke of maturity and that's something i think where this would come in right if you're mature uh, enough to look at this picture and see a couple of chocolates being given away maybe you don't really want to pull up the captain for that so uh, the maturity that is sp- spoke of in organizations i think uh, uh, that does come across here and also uh, the master who spent a lot of time uh, negotiating or saying no and you know it definitely worked for him but if you again look at the way uh, we the shipping companies uh, you know we we are always told you know there should be no delays right everything has to be clockwork you have to come in arrive port no delays birth discharge you know everything needs to happen like clockwork with no delays so i'm just combining these two things where there is a message that continuously goes across to the seafarers that there should be no delays and you need to stick with the anti corruption policy and if you're going to give two chocolates away to someone i'm going to pull you up so are you this maturity conversation 
is that also happening with the operators yes and that's a very very good question thank you for asking that um so generally there's a notion that when you talk about anti corruption ethics integrity it sits with legal and compliance teams and not just in shipping and generally there is a notion that this is where it sits in any industry you can call it aviation construction rail or any other form of industry they think that okay it's always legal and compliance who sits with this because it's a it's a legal matter it's a compliance matter uh, i i want to disagree with that because it's very much an operational matter as well and and thank you for bringing that whole you know where there's a message going out to the vessel that uh, please remember your timelines and you can't get delayed and so on so what we are trying to do here in this uh, in in the work that we do at msn is um i'm sure other industries are looking at this as well and working with this but when i want to speak about the shipping industry and when we were talking about msn what we are constantly trying to do is to share across the departments what does it mean to apply msn principles so yes there are, there is a law there is a lot of people from legal and compliance who are sitting with the work of msn but it's not to say operations are not we constantly talk to vessel operators we constantly talk to hseq managers uh, health and safety and environment managers who are also probably sitting with this in some companies so the dialogue has probably started at a particular place which is legal and compliance but over a period of time when we constantly discuss this topic it's always we have ensured there's someone from operations who is looped in or we have a call with them one on one or we have a group call to make sure they fully understand what does it mean to put this in play and i'll give you a very concrete example one particular company who's a member of msn uh, and this is a vessel operator who who's actually the we call it the msn primary contact meaning any uh, any discussions about msn is taken up by uh, this particular individual in that company and he's a vessel operator and uh, his mission is very clear and the more he understood about what the principles are and how he can implement it in the company uh, his way of approaching this to the vessels is very clear that uh, in his emails to the vessel advising the vessels what to do he always refers uh, to the fact that if a vessel is being delayed due to such practices in various ports and terminals the master is required to take all actions in compliance with of course the company policy but operational delay can come secondary because he has taken up that responsibility to take that up with the charters and this particular company is a tanker company so they constantly have dialogues with charters so what he has taken uh, what responsibility he has taken is he has let go of that responsibility for the masters to discuss with the charters what's going on and so on but focus on vessel safety vessels uh, uh, security and ensure that no this kind of demands are being met at all costs at all possible manners such demands shall not be met because we want to follow the right path here and when it comes to delays the office takes that discussion directly with the relevant stakeholders and that that is put in an email i can see in every email that this person writes to their ships it's clearly communicated all all the parties involved are also in that email agents are in that email so agents fully know port agents who in many many a times we hear the story that the port agents are the ones who are probably trying to uh, you know sit in the fence you know they are trying to be uh, 
good to their clients which are ship owners usually but at the same time they live in that country where they are where this vessel is calling so they need to have a good reputation with the with the public authorities so the agents are duly informed how this ship will operate when they come to that port because this company follows strict principles if any delays they will deal with it the company will deal with it or the office will deal with the respective stakeholders but at the same time what they are also pushing for is not only the master everyone who is involved shall ensure that the ship doesn't get into that situation in the very first place that means the agent is kind of being asked to inform all the public authorities who will come on board that this ship will not give you anything you can keep asking you can keep demanding but you will not get anything from the ship same goes for any other stakeholder who is in that port is duly informed that you need to support us so that the vessel doesn't get delayed so that you can get your cargo in time and then the ship can leave so you can get the second ship coming in good time so so this is how and i know many companies are doing this they and this is why msc is trying to facilitate that dialogue as well so whether it's a, an operator of the vessel you have a lot of uh, probably a leverage or should should i say there are a lot of um, stakeholders that you manage you are able to communicate this very clearly to those stakeholders and at the same time you're somehow trying to alleviate the pressure from the master and letting the master do what they're supposed to do that means bring the vessel in safely make sure she's safe and secure and at the same time start operations as soon as it's possible and not tolerate any of this and if anything is going on you are able to report it to the company who takes on that responsibility and and i have witnessed this quite quite many times since uh, since uh, being at MSCN and there are many companies who do it in many different ways and uh, this is one example uh, there are many companies who who talk to their captains very regularly and say uh, you can not you don't have to worry about the operational side of things please stand ground we want to follow this policy all the way uh, to to the last line of it and we will take the necessary consequences from our side and again, again at the at sometimes it all matters it comes down to the the maturity level of the companies and and some are taking their own time to to get there uh, so this is where i think cross across the industry there is a lot of learning going on as well and we do that through our uh, group meetings we have we have members meetings where we are able to share both the pains and the gains uh, across the membership and and we are able to evaluate that as well that's something msen does we constantly evaluate how members are are doing and we have that internal structure built in uh, so it is not just that people come together have a good time and they go away we constantly uh, have this discussion with uh, with our members how are you how are you doing in your uh, this journey where are you now what are you struggling with where do you need more help where are your seafarers struggling with in which country and so on so that's a constant uh, dialogue that we have with uh, with all our members uh, and that's part of uh, our work and my work as well is very much Uh, part of that on a day on a daily basis if not um, more frequently yeah definitely vivek i think uh, you know uh, shipping is uh, possibly one of the oldest industries and there are traditions here so uh, it's quite likely that you know whatever you're doing uh, it's going to take time to be completely uh, to completely achieve its uh, objectives and i think that's understandable and the maturity that you spoke of you know it's going to change i mean it's going to be uh, uh, different across industries across countries across cultures 
but i think uh, like you said you know finally it, it if it if it makes financial sense to everyone then possibly people will just uh, you know come around to doing it now i started with tradition now what i wanted to ask is there is also a general uh, uh, impression or maybe a narrative which says that you know it's been a tradition in the shipping industry to fi- to, to give uh, these things you know when 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 someone does a good job just give it to him when you feel like it you know just give it to him now with these new directives coming in uh, from the MSCN, uh, uh, you know, and even from the regulations, uh, uh, the UK Bribery Act and the the US uh, uh, Foreign uh, Corrupt Practices Act, uh, and its general uh, implications, consequences that happen. So, is this these new regulations, new uh, initiatives that is coming in, is it breaking a tradition, or was there ever such a tradition, or is it just just a myth? Again, a very very excellent question. Um... I want to I want to t- probably explain to the audience what this uh, tradition is all about as well. And uh, again, to my experience, and I don't know if every seafarer would agree uh, to this. The way I have seen this so-called uh, tradition is is very much it goes down to. Uh, I, I, let me explain it this way. So many years ago, when I was a cadet and when I was junior officer, I've also uh, transited the Suez Canal and and various other canals where. Uh, where the pilots come and these are professionals, you know, pilots are professional people. They're probably former master manners as well. And uh, and I can give you a very concrete example. One of the masters I was sailing with, and he's been a master for many years at that time already. And uh, he's transited all the canals uh, as many times as possible. And then he, uh, he had a practice of, this was many years ago before even these policies and principles were in place. So he used to have a practice where uh, on the bridge, there was a particular locker where he used to keep uh, something, one and cigarettes and and few other like a co- like a yeah cigarettes and Coca Cola or something like that for for some of the people who come on board. And I remember uh, when the pilots come, they shake hands and they they explain to each other what's going on. And w- once the uh, once the vessel has been uh, completed of the pilotage duties. I remember very clearly the pilot uh, and the master exchanging and the master used to give. I don't, I didn't, I couldn't hear what they were really saying at that time, but I remember the, the master was very happy and he was uh, shaking hands and patting him on the back and good job. And then he used to give him a, 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 a carton of cigarette or a packet of cigarette, depending on where we were. It could, it could be other thing. It could be a Coca-Cola, a few cans of Coca-Cola, whatever it could be. Now I, I remember asking the master, uh, why, why is it that you're giving uh, this after, I mean, why do you put all that time and in, in this locker? Why do you want to put it there? And and he used to tell me that, uh, you know, this is like when you take a, a taxi or, or, a, or a rickshaw. I come from India. So in, in India, we do have this uh, rickshaw or tuk-tuks, as you probably call them in other countries. You take a rickshaw. And then if you if you think that the, the rickshaw person or the taxi driver has uh, driven you safely and in good time to a place, you may appreciate that and then you may give something out of your own uh, let's say a courtesy or you say oh this person has done a good job uh, like a little pat on the back you may give instead of let's say uh, 45 rupees if it cost costed you officially you may give him 50 rupees and say keep the change that, that you do in restaurants as well you may like the restaurant you may do that and this is what he said that when a pilot comes he's a professional he's giving me a professional service he's probably a captain himself many years ago now, my evaluation uh, will be based on his actions. 
base is that if i really like him i may give him one carton or one packet or whatever if i really like him uh, more than his uh, normal duties i may i may offer him something else maybe a a big meal and and uh, maybe ask him to stay on board and give him some uh, meal and and stuff like that so what i took home from there was it was never that these people who used to come on board at least that is what i understood the practice was or this tradition was that they used to come they used to do a fantastic job and then they used to be proud to get this so called gift it is more of an appreciation that they used to take or a gratification you can call it or uh, in some uh, places you can call it like a tip so saying well done you know take this this is for you for your fantastic job and then that is how they built that relationship so that relationship was built so every time this captain came to that port met the same pilot he knew how they would perform but also at the same time he knew that if that job was done well he would get it after a job is done so it's always after you perform a duty what has happened this so called tradition what we see today is the people who come on board from the hind, from the first moment they ask for things before even they're doing their duty so there is a shift is what i think has happened over many years maybe but i have probably witnessed it only for some years uh, there there probably be uh, captains and chief engineers and other uh, seafarers who might say no this is how it is been for many years but yes i still think there's been a shift i also know a lot of pilots who who come today and then do their job and then they leave they don't even ask for anything there are public authorities also who just come and do their job and they leave but fundamentally i think the so called tradition of giving things to get things done has happened over a period of time before it was done once a duty has been performed out of some courtesy or out of uh, out of your uh, liking this to that person of how well they did the job but this is not what we see today we see in some places pilots you 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 hear that also in egypt uh, in the suez canal or in other places as well pilots come the first thing they ask is captain where is my where are, where are my goodies and if you don't offer that goodies suddenly they they start to become abusive they start to say we will not perform our duties we will not do this we will not do that and, and in some cases they also harass the crew on board question is do we want want to continue to tolerate that behavior or do we want to do something about it especially these are professionals meeting professionals so i think that is where i have trouble in uh when 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 people uh, say to me that this is an, an old tradition why do you want to change that tradition i think the tradition uh, the way we know it today is not what it used to be i think that the tradition has somehow been somehow have changed so bef- there's another saying i think when you show when you give the little finger you ask for the whole hand that's what has ha- that's what the tradition has become the little finger is probably giving an appreciation but now they're demanding for the whole hand to start with before even the job is done so why should i entertain anyone before even i know how they will do their job anything in the first place so i think that 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 probably we need to clarify i guess um, in, in this whole dialogue i think the traditions what we refer to are probably not the same um you know give, giving a pat on the back of a of a job well done is is uh, is absolutely fine and we do that even today in other circumstances but the fact that someone is demanding things and if they say that if you don't meet my demand then i have the authority or the power to uh, delay your vessel or put your vessel in a safety risk 
or or detain your ship because i found a lot of deficiencies i think that practice and that behavior we should not accept i'm happy to be challenged uh, by this uh, explanation here uh, and i'm i want to stand corrected if i if i have explained something incorrectly here as well but i think personally i would not like to have that behavior seen going forward nobody should go through that behavior especially when you're on a ship when you have uh, sailed for many many hours before calling a port uh, normally we look forward to coming to a port we look forward to saying ah we're going to go out and uh, have a good time or all that, that is changed, being cut down slowly but on top of that yes but on top of that you have people coming and doing all these funny business as well so so that is where i think the traditions uh, we need to be clear on what the traditions were and what is what is it what is it today and i think therefore these rules may help if we actually make it more practical and not leave it in the rules level and 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 policy level if we make it more practical and find solutions and give another choice for people to take then i think it makes a lot of sense that's that's what i would like to say so broadly you are working towards making it more practical uh, and finding a solution uh, that's what i gather yes as msc we are trying to find solutions in different in different countries that that actually works and the only way we know uh, we will know it works is if seafarers test it and their feedback the company's feedback and the industry's feedback will only let us know if these solutions are actually actually working because this is very much working with behaviors of people uh, i don't know how many uh, people recognize that this is just like we talk about safety or safety culture we don't want to go into that topic but this is very much uh, a behavior uh, a behavior science if you want to call it how do we make people not even ask for such things uh, so in the meantime we need to do something we need to build resilience in uh, in the industry to see how we can avoid this can we provide uh, to, today generally when i talk to seafarers or companies they say vivek i don't have a choice i'm stuck with these people i really don't have a choice so then the point here is we want to see if we can provide you some other choices it could be a say no it could be say no and report say no documented tell the authorities that you're being documented now and like you said the cameras could work as you said one of the captains do it um it, it, it the, so there are many choices we want we are working with or we want to work with that will hopefully in one day uh, captains and chief engineers and the crew on board don't even have to think about this when they come into a port and terminal that's what we're working for yeah we were i mean i i hope it works out for everyone uh, one other thing that uh, you know generally masters have a problem or or an uh, issue with is you know they are made to sign uh, uh, anti corruption sort of declarations you know before some operators get them to sign anti corruption declarations before uh, they sign on uh, without actually giving them a lot of support so what i want clarity on is uh, is there a requirement that msen requires uh, you know masters to sort of sign this declaration or is this something that individual operators are coming up with their on their own yeah so msen provides certain principles for their companies uh, to to work on and, and uh, we we don't require Uh, any individual to sign on uh, this policy as such and and i think uh, this could be how companies have interpreted and uh, uh, interpreted what is required and and probably also the the maturity level and the mm. and the internal 
systems that they use uh, to uh, to have this in place. So I think from our side, what we are focusing on is that as a minimum, what what the industry or seafarers should have is a, an awareness that we know that there is not only a problem out there, but there are some solutions that you may start to use. So that awareness has to be there for everyone. For example, uh, we would love every seafarer to know there's something called MACN. That's that's fighting towards uh, this corruption problems that they face and all the challenges that they face. That, yeah, a placeholder. Just to just that is enough for us to start with, and then we want everyone to implement these principles that I talked about. We have specific principles, and that one of the one example could be is to, like I said, when I was uh, edu being educated to be a master mariner, I I was never given a. I don't know if it is there today, but I don't recall a course saying. Uh, this is a class for how to handle public officials when you call to call a port. No, we still don't, don't think, have it. Uh, I've had that. Yeah, I don't think we have that. So that could be something that we can easily offer to give some tips and tools for the top four uh, uh, management, uh, management on board. How do you handle public officials? Just very quickly. There's something we have worked on. And we also want to do, we have done that even for operators as well, vessel operators and agents. So. So I think some small takeaways we can do. And then finally, uh, I would like to also say that we want to share these best practices, both pains and gains across the industry. So that is what we have been pushing uh, our members to work on. And of course, members can choose uh, how they want to build their internal uh, policy, how, how enhanced they want to have it. If they want to have a, a signature protocol for all their people. I know companies do courses. A lot of companies have their own in-house courses. Uh, for anti-corruption and anti-bribery. Uh, I've done that myself when I was working for a shipping company, uh, both on board a ship and, and in the office, I've done that. Uh, so there are different companies who, who may, um, let's say, put certain uh, you know, practices within their company. And that is up to them how they choose to do it. Uh, but from MACN side, we don't require anyone to sign a, an agreement as such, uh, individuals at least. Yeah, thanks for that clarification, Vivek. The only reason I uh, sort of brought that up is because when people sign on these things, you know, uh, on sort of an anti-corruption uh, declaration, uh, they carry that baggage with them. And then when they go on board and when they're having to make these facilitation payments, I think the conscience pricks, right? It makes it a little more difficult for them to actually uh, do that. So I believe that's once you get people to sign on papers, it's more of a compliance thing than actually, you know, making life easier for them. Uh, so that's why I brought that up. And you spoke of 44,000 reports, uh, uh, Vivek. I, I don't think that's a small number. Uh, now, I think uh, there would be a lot of people who are listening to this who've made these reports. Uh, I think they would be curious to know what happens with these reports. Now, you've got such a large da database. I don't think 44,000 is less. You think it is maybe, but and, and definitely there is scope to increase uh, it further. But what I think most people would be curious about is what happens with these reports. Very, very good question. And I think uh, this is something that I, I think the industry should know. Uh, We're not just collecting reports just because we like to collect reports um, because the industry is doing quite a lot of reporting and uh, we definitely don't want to add to that reporting list, so as to speak. Um, and I can give you a very quick examples uh, from those report, uh, reports that we've been receiving, what has been done. One example goes, to, goes towards Argentina as a country where uh, we have been for many years, uh, this started, I think, in 2013, where the work in Argentina, if I'm correct, uh, the, the problems were around 
uh, bulk carriers coming to load grain in Argentina. It's one of the countries that exports grain. And um, so people are listening in who are calling Argentina may fully recognize this. And uh, before you load grain, uh, you may also be aware that you need to clean them and you need to uh, get it nicely cleaned, especially since you're loading grain and you need to get a certificate um, before you load them. And that means it's uh, before the certificate is issued, it is inspected uh, by uh, public authorities in Argentina. And the problem uh, that companies used to face was um, the ship used to come, especially some of these passages were river passages. So there were long river passages. Uh, and before that, the crew was probably working, the master's tired. And, and finally, you're, you're stuck with this inspector who says that, Captain, your, your cargo holds looks dirty. And they say, okay, uh, but we cleaned it and we have, you know, we have record of that. No, no, it, it's dirty, according to us. And then the demands that were being made to these companies and these ships was around twenty-five dollars to $30,000 per ship, per trip or per call. And you can do the math yourself. And this was something a lot of companies were struggling with, how to, how to handle this. And with the data that MACN had been collecting, we engaged uh, with the help of a local partner in Argentina over a period of years. It took two to three years, I think almost four years. We engaged the government in Argentina. And uh, what happened was they were very interested to see how all that data that we gathered together with the numbers that we could put together. And they realized that they were actually losing out in the long term in from the business point of view, that these ships were being harassed in this format. Over a period of two to three years, I think, if I'm correct, uh, a reform, a policy reform happened in how these inspections were to be carried out in Argentina, which means uh, who does the inspection, uh, what is the procedure for doing the inspection, uh, and then the whole anti-corruption and ethics uh, dialogue came in, and there was a transparent, I would say it, were, it became a very transparent system in the whole inspection methodology that is being done on board bulk carriers loading grain in Argentina, which led to a reduction of almost 90% of such demands over a period of time. Even today, we see that there are demands, but there's a huge reduction of such, such demands simply because they themselves felt that with this data that these guys are collecting, there is clear evidence that there is a problem, but at the same time, it can only benefit us if we do something about it. As a country, they realized it. Same thing in Nigeria. We've been working in Nigeria for the last uh, close to nine years now, 2012. So yeah, it's, it's uh, eight to nine years we've been working there. And it was very much a data-driven approach as well. We reached out to the government of Nigeria and uh, we, we approached them and said, we have this data that clearly shows we have problems in your ports and terminals. And uh, which basically led them to uh, work with us and they said that we want to improve our own conditions in the ports and terminals, and we want to do something about it. How do we do it? So, so we, again, with the help of the government and other stakeholders, international stakeholders as well, we used the power of data that we got and used the narratives that we received from uh, various companies to engage in respective countries and try and find solutions. And then we continue to monitor these, this data as well to see if there's any change in, in the in the in the reporting one, but also we want to see if there's any change in the behaviors of these people. Like I said, the behavior change takes a lot of time, but if we can see that slowly there's companies pushing back, and if that data is collected, we can actually see how many companies have 
made use of MACN and pushed back and have achieved some success. So one thing is to collect incident data, which is, as I said, 44,000 incidents. But secondly, we are also constantly evaluating how does our solutions really work on the ground? We also collect data in that form. And the core of this data is trying to engage with countries. We are trying to constantly see different ways to talk to uh, government officials in different countries. Another recent uh, example for listeners we want to share is the whole discussion around port state control related challenges. We have also received a lot of information and data on PSC related challenges in, in certain countries by certain people. And that is something we are working towards with the respective MOUs, the Memorandum of Understandings, and also eventually if, 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 uh, if the opportunity is given, work with the IMO to see how we can address these problems. Because there is an integrity risk for seafarers when port state control officers are performing their duties. And this falls very much in line with the code of good practices for port state control officers. Because if you read the port the guide, uh, uh, it clearly outlines that the word integrity is actually clearly used as one of the pillars of how port state control officers should perform their duties. So we are, we are basically using what has been put in the guideline and we're using our data to engage with respective stakeholders, depending on where they are around the world. So that is how the data is used. So we really would love uh, seafarers to consider this as an opportunity that you're sharing your pains with us. And there is some work being done basis the data that you provide us. Uh, and it is anonymous. Uh, so the uh, what we have always maintained is the, the anonymousity, anonymousity of the data that is being reported to us. And why that is important is because it is such a sensitive topic. Nobody wants to feel self-incriminating or feel uncomfortable in reporting such a data to us. So therefore you don't have to give your name or phone number or name of vessel or, or anything. You can report it anonymously. Of course, it comes with its own, um, let's say limitations that how do you verify it? We have found ways to verify this data through our members. So as our membership grows, we are able to verify this with members. We also have uh, other stakeholders that we constantly interact with in the industry who are able to verify, if not say 100%, this was submitted by this ship or the other, but be able to verify if this data actually matches what's happening on the ground in certain countries. So, so it is very valuable. It has been very helpful for us and it continues to be very helpful for us uh, from a, from a data-driven uh, engagement perspective. Uh, thanks, Vivek. Yeah, data is important and reliable data is important. And of course, the number of reports also. So like you appealed, I hope uh, people listening in who are in a position to report do take this up. Uh, you spoke of, uh, you know, collective action workshops and you mentioned uh, certain countries, uh, uh, Nigeria, Argentina, uh, Egypt. Uh, and uh, I also understand you're also working in India and Indonesia. So uh, are there any specific uh, uh, measures that you want to come up? You spoke of what you did in Argentina and in Nigeria. In the other countries, are there anything specific that you want to speak of just for information and, and just in case you want to? Yes, ab absolutely. In, in India, uh, since you mentioned India, there's been a longstanding support uh, from various stakeholders, including the government of India in the work that MSCN has been doing. This goes back, if I'm correct, again, 2014, 2015, when MSCN was in India, there was a, a dialogue with the ministry 
uh, and the government of India to uh, to to address this as a problem in various ports uh, and terminals in India, and they're very supportive uh, of of our work uh, because it it very much ties into the national agenda as well, where especially the current government has been very supportive of of the topic. Um, but in principle, what they want to see is uh, the ease of doing business, as you uh, as you may be familiar with, is is the uh, is the benchmark, and they want to see uh, what are the bottlenecks uh, that that causes uh, ease of doing business not to uh, go as it's supposed to. And therefore, if if these problems or these corruption-related problems are in the ports and terminals are one of them, then we need to find a solution for that. And we went on to do a pilot actually in, in Mumbai port, in JNPT and the Mumbai port in, uh, in 2019, uh, which has also been a success uh, from our standpoint. Uh, therefore, in India, we, are, we will be expanding our work uh, coming this year and also the years coming forward, we'll be working very closely with uh, with all the stakeholders in India uh, and having that support from the government is very, very vital. We have a very close affiliation with the Indian National uh, Ship Owners Association who've been also driving this on our behalf. And uh, they are also what we consider our local partners uh, in India. Uh, and also we've been working with the other uh, the uh, ports and terminals and trade facilitation bodies in India as well, who are very supportive of this because they see, as you also pointed out earlier, they see a, they see a business sense in this. Uh, there is a, definitely a, a business value uh, proposition with, with the work uh, that we are proposing. But at the same time, it also eases uh, people's lives in many ways in not having to think about this uh, over a period of time, I hope. Um, and same goes for seafarers. You know, they uh, well-being, if you keep that in mind, when they call Indian ports, then it can be a more welcoming port so uh, and terminal in, in a country like India. And the same thing we are trying to do in the region as well, uh, in, in the South, South Asian region is what we are trying to work on. Um, so that is something we are, it's a work in progress. Uh, we will see some, uh, some action coming this year or the coming years uh, in, in this region. Okay. And anything in Indonesia? In, in Indonesia, we have been doing some work there, especially in the container container side. There's been a lot of work uh, being done in the port of Jakarta, uh, where there has been a strong focus on uh, container tracking. There's been a lot of challenges associated to that. Uh, right now, we have not managed to have a local partner yet. Uh, that is something we are trying to see how that is, uh, that is possible. Uh, it's also to try and work with someone who we can uh, partner with on a long term. Uh, but we do have uh, what I call knowledge centers, uh, individuals who have very uh, good knowledge about uh, the problems in Indonesia and how we can work with the with the government and the various stakeholders. Uh, so that is something we are able to offer uh, for our members, uh, depending on a case. We have uh, case by case approaches by our members on how to approach Indonesia. But our general uh, standpoint in Indonesia has been, as we have in other countries, is to, to say no uh, as much as you can report it and document all these incidents that uh, that ships are facing but we are we have not managed to have a, a long-term partner as yet it's something that we're okay. working on in indonesia okay and the other country you mentioned uh, in your impact report is egypt uh, and i'm also uh, just curious because there's been a lot of talk recently uh, the media coverage on what happened in the canal and also about uh, exchanging gratuities and uh, uh, with the canal pilots and also in certain ports uh, uh, in the region. So is there something specific uh, that you've worked on, uh, worked in Egypt on? Uh, 
Yeah. So what has worked for us again, um, I, I'm not going to say that what has worked will continue to work and it, uh, if it's sustainable or not, it's a, it's a very important question that we constantly evaluate. Uh, I would start by saying what has worked for us is the, um, the relationship with the Suez Canal authorities uh, previously, and this is very specific to Suez Canal now. Egypt, uh, we have challenges in Egypt and other ports as well uh, in Egypt, not just the canal uh, transit, but previously we've had a very... Um, a good relationship with the Suez Canal authorities and therefore the Say No campaign was launched and that was well uh, well received and uh, we have seen uh, a growing success in that uh, I must say but we are now re-evaluating uh, that we want to know uh, more from our members as well but also from the community in general who calls uh, Suez Canal not just the one-off cases but what what does it mean to say no in, uh, in the ports, uh, sorry, in the Suez Canal transit, but also in the ports and terminals. And, and we want to also revisit the dialogue with, uh, with the Suez Canal authorities because the, uh, uh, the, um, the person in charge is now, uh, there's a new person in charge and we want to have that dialogue again with them to understand what kind of escalation methodologies they have when we have such cases. Because we have a, we have a good data set that, that shows clearly that there is a problem is not to say that there is not a problem. The demands are there, but at the same time, uh, demands are being met with a say no by many masters who are being who have been successful, and at the same time, who have also faced uh, some uh, some serious uh, cases uh, of harassment in some form by the pilots or other uh, um, other stakeholders as well. You also have the boat boat crew who come on board. You also have electrician who comes on board. Uh, they have their own demands and claims, and sometimes if it's uh, tugs and uh, if, if, if the tug services are also not uh, given what they ask for, they also do uh, they also do things that which is unsafe for the vessel. So we want to find out what are the escalation methodologies that Egypt adopts, especially when it comes to sensitive uh, navigational areas like the Suez Canal. Um, and this is the dialogue we want to revisit with the uh, with the Egyptian authorities, and at the same time, very specifically with the Suez Canal authorities. Uh, because as you, I think we all know 50 vessels call or transit on a daily basis or more than 50 vessels, if I'm correct. Um, and if, if many of them have these kind of issues, then you're looking at a, an incident that happens very often, which uh, is not being reported. Uh, recently, the case that happened was, uh, was uh, highly reported, but what about the other cases which are not being reported uh, is a question. And if, if they have been a result of uh, such practices, then there must be something that has to be done. Uh, and this is why uh, we have been uh, looking at our information now that we have, the data that we have, and we are revisiting how has this campaign that we have been launched, that, has, that was launched some years ago, uh, the Say No campaign, how is it faring now? Uh, and, and at the same time, take that discussion with the uh, with Egyptian authorities. It has been. It has not been easy. I must say. I must be candid here to say that it has not been easy for us to uh, engage. But uh, we we will be engaging uh, with the with the respective stakeholders, and therefore we are also be we'll be looking into working with a local partner uh, in Egypt at some point, uh, like we have in India, in uh, Nigeria, Nigeria, in Argentina, Argentina, and Ukraine. We want to do that. Yes. So we will have that local representation. Uh, because mind you, Egypt has very strict laws against this, against corrupt practices. Uh, so if people are not aware, Egypt is, is very strong on some of these uh, anti-corruption laws. The question is how effective they are, 
and what methods do they have to to address this and this is what we want to learn from from them and see how we can share that with our members and the international community so it's not to say egypt has no laws against this they have very strict and uh, and good laws in place the question is how can we benefit from that how can we make use of that uh, so that is what we are trying to do um in trying to engage the the egyptian government uh thanks vivek uh, you also spoke of the psc challenges uh, which uh, i'm not going to touch upon but uh, one of the countries you mentioned uh, who's who's not been very receptive uh, to the macn initiatives they uh, have uh, quite a, a bad reputation as far as the uh, psc inspections are concerned uh i hope i hope you make headway there and things get better uh, as far as the psc uh, inspections are concerned and now as we close uh, how how would you uh, describe the extent of this problem in the shipping industry and uh, how hopeful are you of what macn wants to do and uh, maybe you could close with uh, you know uh, uh, what is in this for seafarers uh, who are possibly facing this uh, decision this choice to make day in and day out uh, when they are at sea yeah thank you and and i think w- the way i would like to answer that question is um, the extent of the pro- problem this problem is is real and it's out there every seafarer who's sailing today uh, who's probably listening to this or even at home who just came back uh, has faced this the shipping companies faced this as well because their seafarers faces and they reported to them or even if they don't report it they see it in some form and matter it is a real challenge that is still present again we talked about uh, you know what is the uh, the traditional practice and whether that has changed over time and how are the demands uh, happening today so it is a significant issue what and we also talked about the 44000 incidents that we have collected we want to believe there are a lot more incidents out there that are probably not being reported for for various good reasons because some people uh, may not want to report this because they are afraid that uh, they may get prosecuted by either the authorities that they are challenging or they may uh, get some reprimand from their companies so we don't know depending on uh, which which company they work for whether they are a member or not we don't know but nevertheless we believe that these numbers are much more uh, with the type of challenges that seafarers face and is definitely a working environment issue that means uh, a, the crew on board or at least the master is probably in some form of uh, um i don't know should i use the word anxiety or constantly thinking about this what will happen to me in my next port who will come which authority will ask for what what will i do how will i work with this problem so there's there is this constant thought i want to believe in in masters and chief engineers mind so it is definitely a working environment issue that we need to address and and the, the way we are trying to approach this is not by uh, naming and shaming and blaming people but is trying to work with the industry with the governments and with definitely with seafarers in this uh, in this whole in this whole process we want to give seafarers some concrete uh, choices or solutions that they can make use of in various ports and terminals we want to work with governments and ports to make them realize that this is equally beneficial for them and at the same time the industry can also realize that there is definitely a business sense in working with corruption challenges and trying to mitigate them if not eradicate them completely there is a huge um, trade facilitation also improves 
by addressing corruption problems in the industry. So that is the aim of what MACN is trying to do. We are trying to provide these practical solutions, not just on the policy side, but at the same time provide these practical solutions, which are already in some countries, which are already in place. We just want to make it more accessible by people to use them on a daily basis. And that is what we have done in some places that these systems that are there, we want to make them more accessible and more user-friendly for people to use. And then finally, we can, we can, find, uh, we can find those uh, resolutions. And I would like to conclude by, by saying that if, uh, for, for anyone who, who feels that there is no choice out of corruption, I want to say that MACN is trying to give you a choice. It's trying to give you a choice to say no, at least either by being part of the network or not, it doesn't matter, but at least you can say no. And if you can say no, you can also then report it either to your company or to us directly, because by doing that, you're at least taking a stance on what is going on on a daily basis for you. So I would like to say that there is a choice today and we want everyone to take a chance to make use of those choices because only then you will see the change that we all want to believe that, you know, the change we all want to see is that we don't want to have any uh, such demands in any port. So that is the change that you will see if you take the chance to use those choices that are given to you through MACN. And that's, that's what I would like to say to all seafarers out there that please make use of us and, uh, and reach out to us when there is a, uh, when there is a problem. And uh, we'll be able to we'll be able to help slowly, but eventually. Thank you, uh, thank you so much, uh, Vivek, uh, for coming on board. Uh, I must applaud you for everything that uh, you and MACN are doing, and I hope it begins to make a lot more sense to people at the deep end. You know, masters shouldn't have conflicting goals. Do I follow uh, Do I follow my company's anti-corruption policy, or do I ensure a safe passage? Do I avoid delays, or do I not get detained? Now, these questions should not be. These should be, not be choices that masters uh, will have to uh, make. Uh, you know, uh, in their day-to-day -day lives. So, thank you so much, uh, Vivek. Uh, uh, it's been a very uh, interesting conversation. I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Abhijit. It's been a pleasure and thank you once again for inviting us. I mean, you're doing a very good job in uh, in having these sessions and I listen to them very actively. Thank uh, you please so continue much. this and um, yeah, thank you once again.